Josh Swanson, Vogel Law Firm. Thank you for joining the program here real quick. We're going to talk a little bit about force majeure in just a moment, and then I'd like to get an update on the Lake Sakakawea Wilkinson case in North Dakota as well. Josh Swanson with Vogel Law also does a podcast and radio program that involves the North Dakota State Bison, primarily the sports with the football and the basketball. I imagine he also talks about some other sports in there as well, but those are the primary ones that I pay attention to anyway. And uh, I did want to ask him about the NFL draft since we were uh, just had that NFL draft and uh, if there were any players, you know, of interest in the Bakken, you know, that sort of area and, and everything. And then I did want to pose one NFL question to you, but did you follow the draft? Did any Bison get drafted? I didn't really pay that close attention to the draft. Yeah, Derek, Derek Tuska, a stud defensive end for NDSU, got drafted by the Denver Broncos in the seventh round, so he's off to play for John Elway. And then uh, Ben Ellison, a local kid out of Holly, just across the river here in Minnesota from Fargo, uh, signed a free agent deal with uh, Jacksonville, I believe. So we've got two guys right now in camp. So, uh, you know, another big year for North Dakota State. And, and maybe the biggest story coming out of the draft, you know, the, these NFL guys and, and the football commentators and experts, they already start projecting forward to next year's draft. You know, who are the players to watch? Who are the, the top five picks, the big quarterbacks? And believe it or not, for the second time in five years, North Dakota State has a quarterback that the experts are predicting could be a top five pick and maybe even the top quarterback overall in Trey Lance, who will only be a sophomore. So, you know, I know a couple of years ago, Carson Wentz, the the NDSU quarterback, drafted second overall by the Eagles, saying, geez, that'll never happen again to have a Bison player take him with the second overall pick. Well, here we are five years later and to start the 2021 draft, the top player off the board could potentially be, if he has a big year and declares early, Trey Lance from NDSU. Where's he out of? Uh, Marshall, Minnesota. No kidding. So, yeah, lo- local kid, the Gophers. Yeah, what strikes me, you know, as I was, uh, you know, Mike McFeely, and I was tweeting back and forth with Mike from the, the forum, and we were having that conversation about how so many Big Ten and Big 12 schools just flat out miss on these kids where, you know, Trey Lance is a guy that could probably start at any Big Ten school right now as a sophomore, save Ohio State. I mean, they got a really good quarterback and Justin Fields there and Minnesota passed on him. They wanted him to play safety and he wanted to play quarterback. And and he wasn't a kid who, you know, came in and was a, a three or four year developmental project. He redshirted behind Easton Stick. And then his freshman year last year after redshirting, he went out and won the Walter Payton Award that goes to the most outstanding player in the FCS, accounting for you know 28 touchdown passes and zero interceptions. And, and that's I said that right. He did not throw a single interception all year, 28 touchdown passes, and I think he had something like 40, 41 or 42 total touchdowns. He had, I think, added 13 or 14 touchdowns on the ground. So this, this is a cat that can just flat-out play, and the Gophers missed on him entirely. I remember back when Coach Craig Bull first kind of started this program. That's how I kind of look at it. And, of course, it's evolved and changed from then. But uh, Coach Bull back then kind of brought this 
program to a different direction. And one of the things that I asked him about was I said, this was after I think they made the play. I think they lost to Eastern Washington in the semifinals. They, anyways, they, they had a terrific year. And I asked him about recruiting, about the you know D1 versus the 1AA, and if there was an advantage to kind of standing out a little bit, you know, like a Jim Klein saucer did at uh, uh, UND, uh, where you just you're, you're like a men amongst boys almost. And you know, he he did say that that comes up in recruiting, and you know that that is kind of a, a piece to it. Do, do you think that comes up at all with you know some of these quarterbacks as part of the recruiting piece to say, listen, you can really stand out. We've got a program in place here that gets quarterbacks drafted. You, you can you can tie a lot of it in the discussions being had right now. You take a look at NDSU's pedigree going back to Brock Jensen. After you know Brock had a cup of coffee in the NFL with the Dolphins, then won a couple of great cups up in Canada and the Canadian Football League. Then you get Carson Wentz taken number two overall, who had an outstanding career. Then Easton Stick gets drafted by the Chargers last year, and now you have Trey Lance, and you talk about a, a fun Bakken tie in Western North Dakota. North Dakota State's quarterback coach and associate head coach is a guy named Randy Hedberg, who's made the rounds. You know, he was at St. Cloud State. He was at UND. He was out at Southern Illinois with uh, Coach Lennon before coming to North Dakota State in 2014, Coach Kleiman's first year. And Coach Edberg knows how to develop NFL-caliber quarterbacks. And he's from Partial, North Dakota, the pride of Partial. Went to Minot State, was a you know letter winner in football, baseball, and basketball. And NDSU runs a pro-style offense, so... Your point is well taken. If, if I'm in a living room with a, a kid like Trey Lance or any other quarterback prospect, I say, what other program in the country has had its last two quarterbacks taken in the NFL draft? And, and NDSU runs a, runs a pro-style offense. The quarterbacks aren't looking to the sideline for these flash cards. They know how to control a huddle. They know how to adjust their protections at the line of scrimmage. And they know they know how to rate defenses. And, and what's so unique about that? In the college game right now, that's that's not what a lot of quarterbacks are doing. I, I kid you not, there's a lot of high-level FBS major college football quarterbacks that don't know and struggle with taking a snap under center because they're always in shotgun now. And that's something when some of these quarterbacks get to the NFL, they have to figure out. I mean, it's they can take a snap, but just the, the fundamentals of taking that snap, getting into your three-step, five-step drop, Adjusting your protection, finding your receiver, making your reads. There's, you know, I get along really well with Coach Hedberg, and it's fun talking football with him. And, and he'll tell you, you know, NFL quarterbacks, they've got to make like 20 decisions in four or five seconds pre-snap to once the ball snap, and they're they're making their reads. So they've they've got to process a lot of information really quick, and that's an advantage at North Dakota State because that's what North Dakota State asks its quarterbacks to do. And that doesn't happen at a lot of places in college football. So I think I think that's a big part, you know, going back to when Craig Bull brought in his offense and then how it evolved under Chris Kleiman and, and Tim Polisek and and now Tyler Roll, who's a new offensive coordinator. They've just done NDSU has just done an outstanding job at, at not only recruiting players, but developing them and coaching them as well. Did want to mention too uh, the reason Craig Bull's name is come up several times is of course North Dakota State University but I did want to mention with our listening audience out there on the radio side uh, he's of course 
coach of University of Wyoming, and they had two players dra- drafted. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals drafted Logan Wilson in the third round, first pick, and then Cash Maluya, Maluya, linebacker, I apologize, I was not expecting to pronounce his last name, was drafted by the New England Patriots in the sixth round. So Coach Bowles still has a couple players drafted. I remember when he got the job at Wyoming, he almost lost uh, a recruit because of the coaching transition, and he had to leave. I, I believe it was during the playoffs. And do you remember that, Josh? Do you remember who that recruit was? Because he ended up being one of the top players in the NFL, Josh Allen. Yeah, Josh Allen is on Buffalo right now. Right. And that's that's another guy, you know, talk about a local angle with Coach Bowl being at Wyoming and, and Brent Vegan, who's from uh, Central Valley, Buxton, in the Red River Valley here in North Dakota. Uh, he coached Brock Jensen and then and, and Wyoming, the, the coach up Josh Allen now, who's a pretty good young quarterback at Buffalo. So they're, they're no strangers out there either. Craig and his staff have, have done a really, really nice job recruiting talent to, to Wyoming and, and turning them into a, a really competitive football team. That's what I do. Like it was, um, I don't know, it was just totally different because it, it was the look on his face where he had to go and do it. Like he, he saw that that was his future. And then when I saw the career that Josh Allen has turned into, it totally made made sense, especially back in the moment. But anyway, sorry, folks, little inside baseball there as we kind of re- recall a little bit. You know, the one, the one thing I did want to ask you about the NFL draft, and then we'll get into actual non-football talk as we continue on this oil and gas program. Um, is that Baltimore just I Baltimore just blows my mind how cool every year they get and now with drafting the Ohio State running back I want them to do a three running back veer with Mark Ingram uh, the Ohio State guy and, and their other running back couple big tight ends uh, Lamar Jackson and a quick receiver they could do 95 percent run plays and actually be fun to watch holy smokes man yeah they you know I Coach Harbaugh there has done such a fantastic job, and, and they're one of those teams in the NFL that they're never bad. They, they always are competing for the playoffs. They're always making, you know, this past year, obviously, they, they were the number one seed and got upset by Tennessee. But, you know, you talk about an organization that's built to win, taking, I think, Dobbins, the running back out of Ohio State. There's a reason some teams like the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers and New, the New England Patriots Every year they're good. There's there's no drop off. There's no rebuild. Rebuild. It's because they know they know what they're doing in the draft, and they know how to to build a team and to run an organization. And, and I get I get fired up talking about that stuff. You know, I'm passionate about football and then leadership and organizational behavior and how good businesses and good companies run too. So I'm glad you brought that topic up because it's it's fun to watch them. And of course, Baltimore has a linebacker on their team named Chris Board who played at North Dakota State here graduated in 2017 that first championship against james madison the the program sixth fcs title chris board was an outstanding linebacker and special teams player on those teams and now he's playing with baltimore so there's another uh, local angle for you send him a text tell him i want to see that veer formation next year with all the running backs in the backfield that can catch the ball and be faster than most of the linebackers out there man that'll just be fun i mean i hey, I, I had i had chris on my uh, my uh, radio show on 740 the fan and fargo heard it here last fall i brought him on and 
we visited about uh, him playing in Baltimore and everything else. So it's fun to see the local guys, whether it's from NDSU or Wyoming or, or wherever, succeed and do well in the NFL. All right, let's talk a little oil and gas here. Force majeure was why we brought you on uh, about a month ago, talking about the potential behind this. And, you know, you, you kind of went through the process of it. Now, since we last spoke, the governor of Oklahoma has sent out a letter asking Donald Trump to declare force majeure nationwide, I guess, for the oil and gas industry. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the letter, if you've seen this, but... Uh, I just wanted to follow up on that a little bit and just kind of revisit force majeure for a couple minutes and then get into the get into the mineral stuff. But uh, have have you seen this uh, letter? Are you aware of this? Yeah, it, it made front page headlines here in the New York Times a couple days ago, where uh, the governor there asked the president to declare the coronavirus. The, the headline: An act of God. To, you know, overproduction of oil continues to threaten the economy, Governor. Stitt said in a letter to Trump and declaring that a nationwide force majeure would allow oil companies to, to halt operations without risking the land leases. And what's interesting there, I mean, it's interesting on so many levels, Jason, because, you know, the, the federal government obviously is one of the biggest mineral owners, if not the biggest mineral owners in the country. And a lot of companies have leases and, and are developing federal land. But we have a, a state versus federal issue. Does the president have the power uh, with regards to state lands because most minerals are in North Dakota on, on state, you know, on uh, private lands that are under state control. And the question is, does the federal government have the right to come in on these lands that state law is applicable and declare a force majeure event? So there are different issues with federal versus state control there. And another story, too, I mean, it's interesting. We talked about this a month ago, and now we're starting to see it come to fruition. You know, there, there's a headline in, in Bloomberg and Reuters where Continental Resources declared a force majeure on some oil deliveries just a few days ago. The story's from uh, April 24th, and on Tuesday it declared uh, a force majeure on at least one of its contracts to deliver oil to a fuel producer, according to a document that uh, Bloomberg got a hold of after crude futures settled at a negative 38. So you have one of the major players uh, in the domestic realm here with Continental Resources, who does a lot of business in the Bakken, that declared a force majeure well, on one of its contracts to deliver to a refinery. And now they're going to have a fight because the refinery saying, are you kidding me? This isn't a force majeure event. So some of these issues that we've talked about, are starting to play out now. So it, it's it's uh, it's interesting on a lot of levels, specifically the, not only the legal side, but the, the business side and how some of these disputes are going to end up playing out. You mentioned state by state and then the, the federal side of things. Um, does that... Uh... Does that have like a, a multiple effect? Because I'm looking at, you know, just the insurance company's point of view. You know what I mean? Yeah. How yeah, it, no, it, it, yeah. it, it does. If, if, I'm, if, if I'm an attorney on it for an operator, I would love the president to issue a declaration like that because it gives you one more thing to argue in court that, you know, not only did the, the World Health Organization, CDC, and everyone else declare this a pandemic, the president has issued an order saying there's force majeure on federal leases. So by extension, that should, you know, 
it's not controlling on the states, but it's strong evidence that these are times in this pandemic should qualify as a, a force majeure event. But I, I think what folks got to keep in mind, and, and uh, you know, we, we had talked about it last month on your program, so you were certainly ahead of the curve on it. And I visited with the, uh, the Fargo Forum, and, and they did a story on it that I've got up on LinkedIn that's generated a lot of conversation back and forth, is that force majeure is still a creature of contract. So whether or not a force majeure event um, is present and qualifies to, to save a lease or a service contract or whatever it is, the first thing the court will do is look to the actual agreement to say whether or not the parties addressed this. And if they didn't, the courts have been very, very clear on it. The force majeure does not apply. Now, there, there's different defenses like uh, the defense of impossibility that could apply. And uh, the president issuing a force majeure declaration, which I, I to my knowledge, has never been, been done before. I'm not aware um, and I haven't researched it extensively, but I did do a law review article here for the University of North Dakota Law Review a few years ago on force majeure, where I, I took a pretty deep dive into it. But, but I'm not aware of a, a single instance in our country's history where uh, a president has declared something a, a force majeure event. So it, it'll be interesting to see how the, the White House's legal office handles that and, and how governors too. And, and that's one of the other issues in a, a lot of these oil and gas producing states, whether it's North Dakota, Wyoming, Texas, or, or Oklahoma, how governors have and are addressing that. And I, I saw in a Politico's energy briefing this morning, uh, Ron Ness, who's uh, president of the Petroleum Council, is quoted. He had a conference call with uh, the congressional delegation, Senator Kramer and some other oil and gas industry representatives and the Department of Energy and, and I'm sure that that might have been a topic that's come up but we're gonna we're gonna see this in litigation and in North Dakota you know the, the governor with his orders the, the news up here bars and restaurants are allowed to reopen this Friday under uh, with some guidelines and limitations in place now if I'm an attorney for a bar or restaurant and, and I'm struggling to pay one of my vendors and the governor issued an order saying I can't be open. I tell the vendor if they send me a letter saying, hey, you still owe us, you know, seven grand for the lease or, you know, 2000 for these services for you know, food services, whatever it is. I'd say, look, this is a force majeure event because uh, the, the typical force majeure language and contracts says government order, rule, regulation, etc. Well, there was a government order from the executive branch here shutting me down and I couldn't do business. Well, you don't have that on the oil and gas side of it. You don't have wells that were shut in or had to be temporarily plugged because of an order from the executive. So operators are going to have a challenging legal argument to make, and it's one of those scenarios where it's it's worth it for folks that are listening. If, if you're an operator, to have really good legal representation on it, and I'm, and I'm not just you know doing a shameless self-promotion type thing, but you're talking about a lot of money at stake on these contracts and you need to have someone going into court for you that knows what they're doing. And, and, and outside of even going to court, um, you need someone that can have a dialogue with who's ever on the other side of the contract and say, do you really want this tied up in court for two years? Because if, if the defense comes up and there's a breach of contract type argument, then one of my defenses is force majeure and impossibility. The court can't decide that in a week or even a month or even three months. I mean, courts are backed up now. That's 
one of the realities we're facing. I know I've got a, a one-day trial in Dunn County, North Dakota, which you know is you know one of the, the big Bakken producing counties. We were supposed to have that trial in May. Our witnesses can't get up here because they're from out of state. So just to get a one-day trial, we're already looking into November, late November, with the court. Now, if, if I'm arguing a force majeure issue, one of the kind of on-the-ground things that I tell the other side is, if you want to litigate this, courts are backed up now. I mean, thousands and thousands of hearings. I know in Cass County, just a couple of weeks ago, we got a memo saying Cass County is 3,500 hearings behind because of uh, everything going on with COVID-19. So what I tell someone is we can either resolve this, we can come to some sort of agreement and we can work it out, or we can fight about it in court where it's a, a zero-sum issue. Either we're going to get everything or you're going to get everything, but no one's going to get anything for three years because we can litigate it, we're going to do discovery, we're going to file motions, and we're going to tie it up. So I, I think that's one of the things that'll be interesting to see how, how folks on different sides of these contracts decide to play ball. Because yeah, one of the other things that's a reality, you know, cash is king. And, and a lot of companies right now, there's the double whammy of the, the low prices and COVID-19. So a lot of companies could really, really use cash right now. And I don't know that a lot of companies are going to want to pay someone like me a couple hundred thousand dollars to, to argue about something for three or four years when they could just reach some sort of resolution otherwise. So there's, it's a really interesting time right now from, from the, uh, on the legal end of it with these arguments, but also it, it's unprecedented. We've, we've never seen this before. We've never had, like I said, a governor of a major oil and gas producing state asking the president to declare force majeure. And, and I don't know that we've ever had a player like Continental Resources telling a refinery that, hey, we're not delivering on our contract because this is a force majeure event. We've pretty much only had force majeure in cases of floods, tornadoes, hurricanes, correct? They've mostly been kind of regional, isolated, natural disasters. We've never really had a, a nationwide pandemic to where the force majeure language has been uh, really brought to this level. That are, have we? I don't know. I'm, I, I'm asking. No, not, 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 not that I'm aware of. And, and like I said, when I, when I did a deep dive on this a few years ago for a UN law review article on the very topic, you know, I, nothing came up. And then you take a look. You know, my, my background is, you know, one of my majors at NDSU is history. So I'm a big history guy. I love, love reading about U.S. history, especially the closest thing to comparison is the, uh, the Spanish flu influenza that went through uh, right after World War One, but but even even then, you know, I, I don't know that there's a lot of helpful case law on that because it had not been contemplated. Where you've got an epidemic on this scale, that it's not just impacting a city or a region; it's global. It's impacting everybody. So I, I don't know that there there is anything out there like this. That's what makes it so interesting. And, and what I would do. You know, I, if I have time, what, what I would love to do, and if, I, if I'm an operator and, and I don't know what these companies want to spend their money on, but if I'm the Continental or if I'm the you know American Petroleum Institute or the Petroleum Council, I'm paying a lawyer some money right now to crank out a law review article to get in the UND law review this fall, making my legal argument and setting forth some theories. That way, if I end up in front of a, a district court or the North Dakota Supreme Court on it, and you can throw in the Rocky Mountain Mineral Foundation. I know they churn out law review articles all the time back in their position, which is 
know, it's smart business. You can't you can't fault them for that. But I'm having somebody who's really smart who can write and research well, turning out an article on this and, and doing the groundwork and and looking forward. So if you do get into court on it, you've got something at least in the, the UND Law Review or the Oklahoma Law Review or the University of Texas Law Review talking about these issues and, and making your argument for you. But yeah, it's it's unprecedented. I, I don't think there's there's been a situation like this on, on such wide of a scale. And, and you and I have talked about it, you know, disruptions in business with regards to technology and everything else. This is a major disruption. And our economy is entirely different. Even if you use the Spanish flu that went through 100 years ago as an example, our economy is fundamentally different today than it was then. And the impact this is having on a multitude of businesses is on such such a wide scale where you've got everybody, even, even you know law firms. One of the big stories in my world is law firms across the country furloughing people, laying off people, telling their summer law clerks that are law students that intern for the summer that we're not doing our clerkship program this year and, and closing their offices and having people work from home. And, and the same goes, you know, I've had conversations with Oasis and Hess's in-house attorneys. And one of the things we all have in common is we got, you know, kids running around and yelling in the background, you're trying to work and you got all that chaos going on. Well, that wasn't the case hundred years ago. So I, I, to me, I, I would love to be, the attorney, and, and I know we'll have some lease disputes come up about this year as we get into the summer and next fall. But man alive, I would love to be one of the attorneys on that Continental lawsuit with that refinery arguing this force majeure, force majeure issue back and forth. And, and I would expect, you know, I, I'm not privy to any conversations between those guys. I, I don't do any work for Continental. I'm, you know, typically on the other side of the pleadings caption against them. I know they've had some very capable attorneys, but I would expect that they'll probably end up settling that case um, with the refinery at some point, but that would be a really fun lawsuit to be involved in. Switching gears over to Lake Sakakawea, Wilkinson mineral rights case that's going on there. Uh, the one where the minerals had been in the family for generations. Army Corps of Engineers came in, created a uh, dam, Lake Sakakawea, if you will. State uh, decided... I don't know, a little while ago, that they would like to have those minerals. It's been in court now for a while. Uh, where are we at with that? We argued that case to the North Dakota Supreme Court here back on April 13th. So on Easter Monday, we had argument and another one of those things where the Supreme Court is not meeting in person. So for the first time in the state's history, when, when everything broke out with the COVID-19 here, the court started doing video and telephonic hearings. So we did a go-to meeting argument. The state stuck to its claim by the state engineer that they own all the minerals under the lake. We've been disputing that and fighting that here for the better part of a decade. But uh, you know, finally, we're at the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and it's a situation where you know my clients, the mineral owners, are in agreement. You know, Equinor, formerly Statoil, they're one of the parties in that lawsuit. And Everyone is on the same page arguing that the state's position is absurd. So hopefully we'll have a decision here that provides some sort of hopefully finality for, for mineral owners and for operators going forward. And, and the court will rule and affirm the district court and hold that the state doesn't have any ownership interest 
to these minerals. But yeah, we're we're hoping you know for a decision here sometime maybe June or July. Anything uh, we left out? Anything you want to reiterate? I know you got your couple shameless plugs in there. I like that one with Continental. That was a great. That was a specific shameless plug. Those are fantastic. So we might as well give you a couple more. Uh, how can we get in touch with you? And uh, when's your podcast airing and your radio program? Let's plug those too. So for the the podcast, we still do a weekly episode. We've been able to do that with uh, Chase Miller up at seven forty and, and Bison Illustrated, and we're posting those on Apple iTunes. If listeners search for Bison Illustrated podcast, they can find that. Uh, we should have a new one up here tomorrow or Thursday of this week, and in the fall, we'll start doing Heard It Here with Swanee again, the uh, Eric Severide Award winning Heard It Here with oh. Swanee kicking that off uh, when football season starts and running that through the basketball season. And then if folks want to find me for the legal advice, they can go to vogelaw.com, check out our website, and they've got my contact information, my email. My phone is uh, 701-237-6983. That's 701-237-6983. Or if they just Google my name and the Vogelaw firm, that stuff will come up too.